There you go. Look at that. All right. Wow. Look at look at you. There you are. There he is. Look at that. Cool, man. The one and only everything. Kim Mitchell. Uh, good day, Mr. Kim Mitchell. How are, How are you? you? I'm good. Very good. How are you? Great. Right. Great. Fantastic. Well, what, what were you noodling on before you joined in? What was going on there? You you nailed it. I'm just noodling. <laughs> <laughs> Mindless noodling, which is basically what my career has been based on. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because when I was in high school, I grew up watching your interview videos on YouTube. And the one where you where you and Sammy Hagar were together, and you just threw a Les Paul at him before you turned the mics on. And he was like, I, I didn't even warm up. This is, this is like going yeah. into the bedroom without a boner. Like... <laughs> Did he say that? I can't remember that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's one of my favorite lines ever in an interview ever. Yeah, it, it was a surprise attack. That, that one, that was, that was maybe mean of me. You know, imagine you're walking into an interview and someone hands you a guitar that's plugged in. It's like, okay, let's jam. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what What key? What, what? F flat? I don't know anything in F flat. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> well, we are, of course, here to talk about the the latest album, The Big Fantasize, and, of course, the uh, Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. uh, an incredible honor. But I, I want to start just before we get into all of that. First time I ever saw Kim Mitchell, it was in March of 1981 at the Montreal Forum. Uh, obviously, Max Webster opening for Rush, that album, or they, they ended up recording the uh, exit stage left uh, uh, concert video and album there. Um, just take me back to that moment because that that one what really marked me. It was I'm trying to think. It was my second or third concert ever in my life, and it was just an incredible event. And you you and and Rush had been doing shows and tours uh, for many years. Uh, just yeah, quickly talk yeah. to me about that. Yeah, uh, well, th that sort of started uh, playing with Rush because we got signed to the same manager and, and stuff like that. So, um, I Which think was Sammy Hager's manager too, eventually, right? SRO. Uh, yeah. Ray Daniels. Actually, he managed, uh, Van Halen, uh, with right. the, this guy from extreme Gary Sharon, Gary Sharon, that, that rendition of the band, it didn't last very long, but yeah, he managed a, a few bands. So we just, we're doing kind of really well in Canada, starting to make some noise and got on the rush tour. Mainly we got on though, because they were fans right. too. Mm. Rush, rush really liked what we did. And it was, it was a cool hang too, which is, is kind of important. So we right. went everywhere with them and we, yeah, we came to Montreal. Um, I have, a, I have a funny memory of Montreal, but it wasn't, wasn't with rush. It was actually open <laughs> with Peter Gabriel for Peter Gabriel. Oh wow. But, uh, yeah, I think that was at the forum too. And uh, anyway, we went to Europe with Rush. We we went all through the states. Um, always used to always used to find it funny that Rush we we would start in the east and go west. Um, we get to Vancouver and then we cross down and go down to Portland or Seattle. And the first gig, they they would elevate everything thirty percent. Like they really got intense. Even their sound checks were like this is America. We need to do well because we're just starting to make some noise down there. So not that they didn't care about Canada, it's just they could relax a little more in Canada. Um, and they, they took some real bad heat. I remember from the press. Um, it was, it was, it was nasty, you know? I don't understand why. And I'll just yeah. say just real quick. My first show was a kiss in new England in 79. Then Russian Max Webster was my second one and a cheap trick and tease. I mean, not a bad way to start a concert going career, I think. Quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. 
Actually, uh, love teeth. My first concert was the Backstreet Boys and then Deep Purple. <laughs> right. You no, know, Richie Blackmore. We did some shows with Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, uh, Cheap Trick. Um, did you say Black Sabbath? No, I didn't say. I, I saw Cheap Trick with uh, Tease. Oh, with Kiss, Kiss, right? Kiss, and Kiss with New England, which was yeah. which was great. Um, you know, then, Mitch, it's always freaked me out when some of these musicians know me. Like I, I, I look at myself as, in my career as just a frostbitten Canadian from from Toronto, and and to have uh, Paul Stanley walk off an elevator and go, "Oh, Kim Mitchell, go for soda, love your work, man." It's just yeah. like what? Well, what? Yeah. Okay, so so let me let me just follow that since you said you're you you, you think yourself as just a Canadian frostbitten, you know I had this conversation with Honey Moon Sweet and I've had this had it backwards. I'm sorry, <laughs> close enough. Uh, but I've had this conversation with Honeymoon Sweet and Gowan that the record companies would sandbox them and say, listen, we're not going to bother exporting you to the UK and the states. You're Canadian bands and just enjoy being Canadian bands. Mm. Was that your story? Did, did they sort of look at Go for a Soda and and Kim Mitchell and just say? We love you, Kim, but you're going to play Toronto and Vancouver, and you can just forget about Tokyo. Did they sandbox you as well? That's the word that Gowan used. He was sandboxed. Sure, that's an that's in, interesting word. No, I didn't get that sense at all. I got the sense that uh, our manager and label wanted us to make some noise in America and in Europe, which we were just on the brink of, of doing that when the band ended. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I think we were due to to head the next time we went to England was was going to be a headline show at the Hammersmith Odeon because we'd played there a few times with Rush multiple nights with Rush. I think we did with Black Sabbath too. I know we played with Black Sabbath in Leeds and that was the most terrifying show as a Canadian I had ever done because you know barely saw any leather, let alone chains and tattoos and things. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden this audience, I'm standing backstage and this audience at Leeds comes running to the stage and I, I'm like, oh my God, we're, we're going to die out there. You know, <laughs> we're going to eat us for breakfast. So I went backstage, <laughs> went backstage and almost all of a sudden, you know, told the band, I said, man, I said, we're going to be lucky to get out of here alive. But we went over great. You know, we just yeah. get out there and rock out. That's all they wanted. Well, it's funny because a friend of mine's from Leeds and he always tells me all the time. He's like, dude, he's like, Leeds is a tough crowd, man. He's like, but if they <laughs> dig you, man, you are going to go over like, yeah, yeah, they'll love you. It's a terrifying few moments, if you can imagine, <laughs> right? You're yeah. walking on stage. They're like, Black Sabbath, you know, like, they're, they're, yeah, yeah. They're well, they're real. They're yeah. a scary looking bunch. They're it's a proper music right. city. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And then you, you know, by the third song, they're like, "Hey, man!" Really, you can see them looking at each other, going, "Yeah, yeah." Fucking hell, mate! Hey, this Kim Mitchell guy, <laughs> man, it's kind yeah. of proper, right? But, yeah. You know, as you're having this platinum success with the Kim Mitchell stuff in, in the in the mid '80s, was the record company trying to export you and trying to get you into inroads in the U.S. or is it just like Kim, just just enjoy playing? You're gonna be our CanCon guy. Like, that's yeah, it. You're, you're the CanCon guy. I mean, did they try? They did. They did. As a matter of fact, you you mentioned Go for Soda came out at exactly the same time as Twisted Sister. We're not going to take it. Mm -hmm. um, and we were on the same. We were label mates with them. And and the two the two songs came out and they did this. Started doing this up the charts, and then we're not going to take it. Started to do a little bit better, and they just went. Just just. They just pulled. They pulled the, pulled the carpet from under, go for a soda from under us. And that was it for that. So, wow. um, 
and that's okay that's though. That's the way it works. So that's how the politics yeah, works. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, it was, well, was it political? Had you not been Canadian? Had you been from San Francisco or something? Do you think they would have pushed it more? That's a great question. Um, maybe not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how the you know what's going on in in those boardrooms. What's going on with those meetings? Yeah, it's not like okay, look here, here. I mean, I, think about it. If you if we ran the record company, all of a sudden that song starts to do better. You go, let's put all our resources into into doing this now. Let's yeah. Who, who's this Canadian? Yeah, let's okay. See, but you also got to remember it all depends on how much coke was being fed to that PD that week. So you know, well, it, there was that <laughs> going on allegedly. Um, I don't know. I've never done a line in my life, so yeah, neither have I. So okay, let, let me ask you just, and then we'll we're not getting to big fantasize and we're not getting to the song run. But I'll get, yeah, we all right, we will get there. We will get there. <laughs> we've okay. got a lot of, of time. We've got a lot to cover. So, Hey, this is really a pleasure to talk with both of you. Thank you. You, you as well. Uh, yeah. You, you had a, a, a long career in radio in Toronto. Did you appreciate, or, or what did you learn from that from an artist's point of view? Because you know that they go into the meetings and they say, this song has to play for Jennifer and Jennifer is our, you know, 25 to 40 year old lady. And d- did you learn Mitch, you're anything using, from You're that? using all of my talking points right now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeremy. Ask. <laughs> well, no, because Mitch knows because I, I work at the yeah. Beat 92.5 in Montreal and it's the number one pop station in the market. And, yep. you know, it's, it's interesting because I tell them all the time we go into these boardrooms and they tell us, OK, you need to talk to Jennifer, who's uh, 39 years old. She's splitting her time between her day job as a bank manager and going to the mm-hmm. soccer game, spending time with her kids. When you're doing rock radio, like what are they telling you in your air checks and in your yeah in your your pre-launch meetings before the fall <laughs> ratings kind of thing like hey very, you know it's ppm okay. it's uh sure very good question very early on in my career uh the first year of radio i had i had no training when i got this job so mm. i sucked bad and and you are on display while you're trying to find your way and and yeah I took a lot of heat from listeners. It's like, get off the air, you has been. You know, go back to music. You, you can't even hit the post on uh, no, Freebird. No. Come on. All, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> but through an amazing boss, program director, working every day, well, not every day, but a couple times a week, a few times a week, getting together with him, it started to turn into something. And, and, he believed in me. He says, we didn't set you up to fail. We're, we're setting you up to, to be successful and bring something cool to this station. So mm. to answer to your point, they didn't tell me who I was talking to. As a matter of fact, one of the radio guru guys, uh, you know, they, they would hire the consultants to do your air check and go over your show. They were, they were great. Tracy Johnson. Um, there was a woman. I can't oh, remember yeah. her name right now. Valerie Geller. Yes, yes, yes. Both amazing, like, know what what they're saying all the time and it uh, makes yeah. total sense i remember tracy johnson sending a note and they showed me the note it said don't turn in don't ever turn kim into a, a a fancy smooth radio guy he's bringing something unique to your station that fit. don't turn him into a jock yeah yeah just let him do his thing and that's what i ended up doing Huh. But do they tell you? Do they tell you like you know? Oh, content wise, you know, oh, we wanted to talk about the trending rock stories today. Or no, uh, no, none know. of that. None of that. I I brought some of that anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, few road stories. I, um, when when artists came in, it, the last thing I was asking them was, "So, man, like, what's your influences?" 
uh, <laughs> so uh, what can we expect from the show tonight? You know, like, yeah. like questions that tell me you, you want to know what I learned questions that tell me that when I get them, it seems like, okay, dude, you're not prepared. You don't really right. know who I am. Um, you're just doing a hit because the station needs to, because of a, a somebody bought some time or yeah. whatever. So I would get in there and ask cool questions like, like, uh, you know, like who, who's always late for lobby call, you know, mm -hmm. okay. It's 15 minutes before you're going on. What's going on in the dressing room. Who's allowed in, who's not, what's on your catering table. What, you know, stuff like that, that mm -hmm. sort of brings the, brought the audience into the backstage scene a little bit more. Yeah. Cause it, you know, it, it was it's fun. Weird. It was great. Well, it's cool to hear questions like that because, like you said, it's usually the generic middle of the road. It's like, oh, do you prefer coffee crisp or Kit Kats? Like, well, uh, it, it's you know, when when people say, "So, who are your influences?" Like, my audience knows who my influences are. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you're wearing a hat, playing a Stratocaster, playing the blues, chances are Stevie Ray Vaughan is is in there somewhere as an influence. Yeah. Your audience already, yeah, yeah, your audience knows all this stuff. What can we expect from the show? Hey man, I just paid four hundred dollars for a couple tickets. I don't want to know what I'm walking into, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're starting off with this, and then the lasers come. And this too. Got the set list. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for <laughs> ruining the surprise of it all. Right. But so, but even as an artist, I'm sure that also helps because it's you. You have years of experience being interviewed by people, and I'm sure you get a question. You're like, oh, this question again. So I'm sure that does help with the interview style. It, yeah. Well, and when I do get those questions, I, I try and take the high road. I, I, I've yeah. busted them a couple times on it, but, you know, I know what I'm there to do. And the real professionals, when they come in, they know what they're there to do. Right. But regarding your stuff, I kind of just found my own way, Mitch. Right. Just uh, uh, there was nobody telling me. As a matter of fact, my, my boss, I still see him, my old boss. And we laugh because he said, hey, uh, it was after a radio check. And I went, well, okay, that was pretty good. He goes, yeah, we we can do these every week if you want. And I went, how about every year? Right. <laughs> he just laughed. Was your program director from the artist? Mitch, was, go ahead. Mitch, hold on. Was your was your boss Blair Bartram? Yes. Yeah. He 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 and I he was going to hire me not long ago. Well, he's, <laughs> so I know he Blair was, very well. He was in Montreal, was he not? Yeah, he was in Montreal for a little bit, and mm -hmm. uh, I think he's he's programming a bunch of stations in Southern Ontario now. He's kind of like yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah he just lost his dad, and uh, he's he's been all over the place. So, yeah, um, no, he didn't lose his dad. No, did he, he just didn't. lose his dad? Yeah, he just lost Is his it... dad. I saw it on Facebook like the, this oh. past weekend. Oh, okay. So, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, I'm meeting him tomorrow. I didn't know why. I know he fell and uh, and started to have a brain bleed. We we canceled something, but uh, yeah, well, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Let well, me, if you um... see him, tell him I said hi. Okay, and, I will and pay do. our respects, uh, offer our condolences yeah. as well. Yeah, um, I didn't know. Yeah. That's uh, sorry about that. Yeah, but here, yeah. here's where I want to go. Speaking of the new album, the big fantasize. When you've been working in radio as long as you have, does it start creeping into your thought process of if I want this played on Q or on Shome or on any rock, I'm gonna need to make this kind of sound and this kind of song? And no, never has. Okay. Never has played a part in my music. Um, I learned early on that that there's 12 notes. You make the 12 notes yours. Yeah, you're influenced by certain things. And I suppose what is sort of happening around you has some sort of effect on you. But no, man, I just, I'm just, I'll write, I'll get an idea and I'll start to write it. I just want to get that thing to where I love it. And, and I'm not thinking about radio 
Because you know no, the tricks. Quite. You know how to get it on there now. No, no, no. There are no <laughs> tricks. I, I realize that. You know, maybe maybe with yeah. pop music, there's formulas and stuff. But with rock, um, yeah, maybe there's formulas too. Uh, that's a great question. I just yeah. have always felt like I have followed my heart. It's never been, okay. oh, mm. I, I really want to get this on the radio. Um, anyway, radio right, plays right. my old stuff. They, they don't play the new stuff. You know, maybe a couple stations have, have you know, played a couple of tunes once or twice but did you get that it, kind of pressure from the record companies back in the 80s so you know go for a soda explodes it's all over much music i mean i watched much music and you could see that four times a day easily did the record company come to you and say so can you write go for a soda part two we really like that did, did you yeah start getting... yeah they're, they're, that's what they're about man <laughs> you know it's, it's as predictable as coming home and your dog is gonna be at the thing wagging his tail you know yeah. I, I mean it but early on speaking of rush early on we learned that that those those three guys just decided to go oh with all that it's our lives. It's our three lives. It's our music, and we're going to do what we want. And and we'll live and die by that. If if it mm. if it tanks, it's our it's our doing. If it does great, it's our doing. And yeah, okay. I sort of adopted that early on, traveling with them, just watching them, watching them take all all that record company industry stuff and just go, yep, yep, great, awesome, see ya. And then. You know, in the back dressing room, whatever, like, oh, yeah, okay. And that's but, why you don't see any chicks at their concerts. Well, Kenny <laughs> did say, Kenny did say when they when they did uh, Time Stand Still, he said, all of a sudden women were at the shows. It was great. <laughs> it's the keyboards. The keyboards yeah. brought them. Yeah, yeah. That's right. they, 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 took, they took the wrong turn at the uh, at the bathroom. Well, yeah. Okay, so I'll finish on the Rush thing then. Uh, okay. Max Webster and stuff uh, worked or worked with Terry Brown, the producer. Terry Brown, of course, revered as being the Rush guy, the Rush sound, for the lack of a better word. What was it like working with Terry? What did he bring to your projects? And could you just tell that, yeah, this guy's a next level. He's got something. He does have something. And, and it, what would blow you away if you sat down with Terry is, is after a few hours spending some time with him, you, you'd have your mind blown because all of a sudden he'd be like, Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Can't explain. Yeah, yeah. I recorded that, and I'm just like, what? By the or, or he's like, yeah. I'm one of my favorite records is Axis Bold as Love. He's like, yeah. I recorded the opening that little psychedelic thing at the beginning because he worked in the studios, one of the studios over in London at the time when all these cats were starting to make their records, and he was an assistant sometime. I think what happened with Can't Explain or one of the I think it was that that track. The engineer didn't show up. He's sick, so Terry recorded it, mixed it. And literally a couple of days later, it's out. So um, he blows your mind that way. He's really has a beautiful musical sense um, and is there for the artist. Because the producer is kind of that middle ground between the, the labels barking at him. And then he just wants he just wants a great performance out of you. And he holds the bar very high. Terry, I have a lot of respect for the man. We still speak. Um, yeah, I'd love to interview him as well. I mean, such I, a great history. Hook, uh, I could probably hook that up for oh, you. I'm not, I'm not promising, of but course. I can I can pass on your information for sure. He's, he, That'd be he's awesome. probably into that. What? But my my vision of Terry is, you know, three in the morning, finishing the track of High Class and Borrowed Shoes. We had recorded that song really late because studio time was cheap. 
through the night. So that's when we recorded. And yeah. Terry, we finished the track and like, you know, with the beginning, bam. We're like, Terry, how, you know, because you, hey, how was that take? And he's like, this. Just out. <laughs> Out like a light. <laughs> Just passed out. Sleep. Passed out, passed out of sleep. <laughs> like a good producer. That's that's great. So yeah. last question on that, and then we'll get to the songwriting and all this stuff. How did you choose him? Because he does fly by night, caress a steel, 2112, and then Max Webster's Max Webster. Did you sort of say, ooh, I got to have him, or did the or did SRO go, hey, he's our producer guy, so go how did that hook up? He liked us he liked what we were doing hmm. and um that's how that sort of happened which was the case with my new record greg wells who was a grammy award-winning record producer was in my band at 19 he was a fan and i wouldn't be able to afford him and and and, and he just kind of went came to the house and went i love the stuff you're writing man like come to los angeles let's record it but i i just jumped ahead so mm -hmm. I use Greg Wells' Waves plugins on some of my stuff in my studio. So. Yeah, the Greg Wells mix centric and all yeah, that. Yeah, so good. The top end that it adds. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's like, it just sounds broken without it, right? Yeah. It just kind of adds like a little bit of glue like in there, you know? Talking mm -hmm. about producing, you know, it's like to go back to Go For A Soda, it's one of my favorite sounding vocal performances of all time. And at the time you had Mutt Lang doing big backing vocals. And that, that, I mean, that's essentially Queen, but taken up a notch. What was the idea behind that? And do you have any memories of recording those vocals in the studio? <clears throat> well, I do. Uh, we were uh, a live band. We were playing all the time. So a lot of that stuff was ready to record. It wasn't built in the studio. It wasn't, and we didn't spend hours and hours and hours like Mutt Lang would. You know, Mutt would spend two months on guitars, just mm -hmm. doing a record. And, you know, it was his thing. I mean, it worked. But we went in and just set up and... Kind of went, okay, run it through. Yeah, it sounds great. Let's blast two, three takes. And that mm -hmm. we'd grab one of those. We'd just say, that one's that one's got a great feel. As for vocals, were always more challenging for me. It always had to be sort of the right vibe, getting set up with the right lighting and the right sound in my headphones. And <laughs> a little more high maintenance with that. It wasn't it, just... It was a real performance for you. Well, it was a different kind of vibe for me had had you just been playing and singing the song like you do live yeah, it yeah. would have been easier which is how i did the song i am a wild party later on which mm -hmm. was just all live the vocal and everything but when you all of a sudden you're out there doing a vocal okay it's time for vocals because it just was a terrifying experience for me yeah it's funny you talk about we're not going to take it from twisted sister because I, I said this to mitch because i'm a big fan of production and engineering and mm -hmm. you listen to a lot of the canadian records that came out in the early 80s from brian adams to lover boy i mean bruce uh fairburn to bob claremont to the kim mitchell stuff like honeymoon suite everybody's records sounded really good and then you listen to we're not going to take it and it sounds terrible the drums sound like tupperware being hit by sticks like and then you've got those big drums <laughs> hey. that go for a soda and it sounds great you know <laughs> hey tom warman does great work come on yeah yeah i you know I, I see what you're saying but but yeah. it isn't about production it's right. about catching a moment it's about that song we're not going to take it had a vibe to it it had mm -hmm. some kind of 80s thing going on whatever you want to call it but it was it had an energy happening i loved it yeah uh, and it just so happened um d ended up doing radio too for a long time 
Yeah, yeah it's funny how, how you both ended up there. Um, the yeah. songwriters hall. Except of I'm better looking. Okay. <laughs> well, that is true. That I'm is just I'm true. just kidding. I, don't, I always love to meet him. I always would have loved. We to just interviewed him. him a couple of weeks ago. We know oh. D yet. It's like the dude doesn't yeah. age. Like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. It's like yeah. I'll be more. I'll be more than happy to introduce you if you, if uh, he ever hits Toronto. I'll I'll hook something up for you. Yeah, right. You can make that happen. I get you, Terry Brown. You, and I'll get you, D. Schneider. I can make that happen easily. Um, let me just quickly ask you about the Songwriters Hall of Fame, because when you look at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and other Hall of Fames, sometimes it's all about popularity and, you know, did, were you the cute poster boy? And all. But Songwriters Hall of Fame is different. That is saying that your work and what you write is above and beyond. Um, talk to me just quickly about that honor and, and to be recognized for your songwriting and not being cute or being popular or, be, you know for being are you not, are you saying kim mitchell's not cute mitch i'm not saying that but I, you look at look like you know bon jovi in the rock and roll hall of fame probably <laughs> him being a cute poster boy has something to do with that just saying no that's a great question uh, and i i can only answer it with probably a bit of a cliche answer i was absolutely blown away when i was um taken out and told that i'd be getting this um of course, my first thing was, are you sure that you, you got the right guy here? And they said, well, not only do we have the right person, but we're not just inducting a song or two. We're inducting your whole body of work. And wow. I just I just kind of stopped for a few minutes and just sat there like, whoa. Like, it just really hit me. Uh, you... Mm -hmm. You, and I've said this in a couple other interviews, you can see a gold record coming. You can see a Juno award, which is the Canadian version of the Grammy award coming, mm -hmm. or, you know, you can suspect that it will be happening, but you see gold and platinum albums. You, you don't see this, this coming. And some of the people in there who I've always looked up to as great, great songwriters. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow. So I know that sounds kind of <clears throat> maybe a little, cliched of an answer but i was completely blown away seriously and you're getting you're getting choked up just talking about it i know so. and then it puts the pressure on him because now he's writing his new album going oh shit I got, I'm, the, I'm a rock and roll hall of famer i gotta no, be, i gotta, no. I gotta, I gotta be better no, a songwriter's <laughs> hall of famer no, man no. i'm a hall of fame wreck this is not good enough for the hall of i gotta be <laughs> yeah i was like why are you giving me this now my best stuff is coming yet you know it's like <laughs> Well, it's funny. We we um we oh, interviewed stress. Aldo Nova back in like September, and Aldo's done writings for uh, Jesus, everybody Celine from Celine Dion to everybody. all kinds of different John Bon Jovi. Have you ever done any? Have you done any outside writing for anybody? Mm, no, no, no. I've no. Uh, you've done session work. I have, and it's just my session life is is just <laughs> wow. I I don't like playing on other people's records. There's something about when I. I played on uh, some Tom Cochran stuff. I, I mean, mm -hmm. just sort of mostly Canadian artists. Um, but yeah, and then when I get a, the mix back, I'm kind of buried in reverb, so I go, eh, I guess they didn't yeah. like that too much, well, you know? Let me just quickly ask you about that. You leave Max Webster, or Max Webster ends, and before you start becoming a solo artist, you have those two or three years of, I'm, yep. a, I'm a studio guy. Did you do the work and say, Ugh, this sucks or was there just not enough work or did you just say hey i just wrote go for a soda i'm gonna go record like how did that sort of work out those two three years of sure who am i and what am i doing good, good question um thank you uh 
I moved, yeah, I was in a relationship and it kind of ended for, for a little while. So I was by myself um, in an area called the beaches in Toronto in an apartment and ended up just doing a lot of writing every day I was writing. And that's when I wrote all that stuff, go for soda. Um, I did a little bit of session work. People were asking, I think I played on Gowan's album then and, to which he said, yeah, I paid Kim Mitchell way too much to, to play on my record. <laughs> <laughs> That's not nice. And, and you know what? And then they got sandboxed. <laughs> yeah, oh. then I got, yeah, then he got sandboxed. But, but uh, you know, that wasn't me asking for the dough. It was my manager. It was like, oh, you're going to have to, you know, he's going to pay him this. Yeah. You know, I was like, dude, I'm not, you know, I do this for free. We're all family here. You know, yeah. that's how I kind of feel about playing on other people's stuff. But I just... To wrap up this my session life, I haven't really liked anything I've done on anybody else's record. Mm. Um, I yeah, think you don't get to be you. Well, no, no, they're hiring me to be me half the time. Oh, really? They're not, okay. they're, they're not mm -hmm. sitting there going, "Okay, we want like a Steve Lukather kind of solo, or we want this oh, okay. kind of thing." They're, they're they're like, "Hey, Kim Mitchell would sound good on this." They know okay. my playing, so it's just like mm -hmm. they've never gone. It's always been, "Hey, man, do your thing." Um, but when I, after I do it, I'm kind of like, eh, it's, it's, there's something about me doing my own music that, that that's because you save your more. best stuff for you. No, no. Yeah. I, I really give it a go, Jeremy. I really do. Mm -hmm. I, I try to give them my best and, and, yeah. and they're fine. Everybody's been happy, seriously, but I'm going, eh, ooh, ah. yeah. you know, um, Keith Scott is Bob Rock's guy and Keith ah. ends up on a lot of records that people so don't know good. about. He's so good. Keith is so good. Yeah. That's one another of one of our dream interviews, Mitch. Jeez. Yeah. Talking to Keith. Well, I mean, he's a Boston Bruins fan, so that sort of ruins it a bit. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Just a bit. But, wow. I'm going to... Yeah, I'm gonna delete his phone number right after this, man. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm, just, I'm, that's what I'm saying. But, I, I but did you have that uh, that producer that went, "Hey, Kim's my guy, and I'm gonna call Kim all the time"? Did you have that one producer, and who is it, or who was it, if if you did? No, no, I didn't have that. Uh, my only, uh, my only, one of my gushy moments was working for Bob Rock for some. I think it was actually a hockey. Uh, thing they were doing, right? Some kind of hockey. Was it the the hockey night in Canada record re-recording theme? Yeah, or? maybe something like that. And, and I remember sitting inside you know, Bob Bob Rock, yeah. going, oh, "This is Bob Rock," and I sort of played the scene. And he turned to me, <laughs> and he goes, "He goes, yeah, okay, that's it." I'm like, "Okay," and then he turns and goes, "Hey, man, that's really nice playing. Like, really nice. Thanks." I'm like, "Well, wow. Bob Rock just told me, you know." That was cool. That was a That's cool. By the really? way, uh, just just real quick on Bob Rock. The first time I met him was at a Foo Fighters show. He was there with Simple Plan because he was working. And I looked at him and I went, ooh, it's the guy from the Payolas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't wrong, were you? No. And how good were those songs? I mean, really. They, they were great. And, and I love the, yeah. the, the, the weird drums that they had in their videos. You were just looking at that going, what is that? They had yeah. like long Anyway. Um, he's a funny cat, right? He's a, lived when he moved to Hawaii, and his and his he was telling me a story about his kids. He says, "My kids want to go back to Vancouver," and I'm like, "Man, we're in paradise here!" Like, what? Yeah, <laughs> just a funny story. It's like, so he said, so we go back and forth. But Bob, yeah. Bob's great. Um, the new record, thirteen years between the last two. Was it just I'm busy? I don't have time. And sort of, why why'd you sit down and say, you know what? It's time. It's time for a collection of songs. No, 
I I was not going to record again. I had these songs, a couple of them written. Um, I was going to do some more. I'm just along the way writing when I felt like writing. What was happening, Mitch, was we're playing live and people want to hear Go For Soda, Rock and Roll Duty, Logger and Ale, All We Are, a couple Max Webster tracks, Paradise Skies or Battle Scar. I'm fine. I'm fine doing that. Customer service and rock and roll, get out, rocking out, having a great time. Who needs to make a record anymore? I don't. It's it's a pain in the ass, really. You know, but make, I remember Joe Hardy, one of my producers, he he said, man, everything about making a record is a pain in the ass. You're, you're taking on something that is 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 really difficult. Um, so uh, it is a pain, but but it's the journey is lovely, too. At the same time, it's a beautiful, creative journey. Um, and it wasn't until Greg Wells visited me just on his way back to Los Angeles one day and uh, he said, uh, I gave him the USB key of shame. Mm-hmm. And he got a hold of me later and went, I love this stuff you're doing. This is a side of you that your audience needs to hear more of because you do it really well. It's not I'm a wild party. It's not logger nail. It's not the rocky stuff. It was more atmospheric. And and he uh, he said, come to Los Angeles. I'm like, dude, you're big stuff. I can't afford you. And he goes, mm-hmm. let's not worry about that. I, I'm a fan. You, you know, I was in your band. It was a big moment for me as a young kid to have that opportunity. So come down and let's let's record. And it was just so much fun, man. So much wow. fun being in Culver City at the time and vibed and 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 the Los Angeles recording experience. What you're hearing is what you're getting. Right. Um, I always had a little bit of frustration early days of making records in Canada. You'd you'd do something. And then you take it to your car and you'd be like, ah, yikes, where did the top end go? Or how come there's so much bottom end? Like everything's kind of wasn't too was Whereas in LA, it's like, wham! It's like, wow, that's it. Wow. Yeah. That's because you guys weren't mixing on NS10s. (laughs) That's right. They're on knees or whatever. (laughs) The good old days. NS10s, yeah, man. Mike Fraser, right, who did all the ACDC stuff. He mixed a live record of mine, uh, I'm Wild Party. And he would to set up your listen ns10s are like the loudest small speakers in the yeah. world are they the not the just... shittiest speakers ever yeah they're like ah like they make yeah. they make your beard grow like well, the yeah, first time i heard about hours, ns10s yeah. was uh i was reading an interview with mike shipley who was mutt lang's engineer and he was like mutt would always make us mix on ns10s and they're the worst sounding speakers ever but his whole thing was if it could sound good on ns10s it'll sound good anywhere so yeah, so just getting this Mike Fraser story, who does all the ACDC stuff, it turns yeah. out, and he's cranking them. They're just like, they're, the excursion rate is like insane. You're like, <laughs> and he's like that all day, just cranked. He rarely turns it down. It's just like, and and then three days later, he walks in and, and always says to the, engine, the assistant engineer, yeah, change the tweeters. Like, so every three days, <laughs> he says, yeah, they're starting to burn out. Like, are you, yeah, you think? Yeah, jeez, that's nuts. Man, it, was, it was great. You know, you get the mixes out of there. It's like phrase. You're like, man, you're like amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mike yeah. Fraser he, and Terry Brown. Come on, that's yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, yep, yeah. That's a good track record of people you've worked with. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> um, Kim, you've said it all, my friend. This was great. Thank I do you. want to ask one last question though, just real quick, because I grew up on much music and stuff. How important was that for your career? How important was 
the visual and were, were you uncomfortable doing those videos and the patio yeah. lanterns and just say listen i'm a fucking yes. rock star i'm not a not a movie star you want sylvester stallone go watch rocky sure uh those were the early days when right and and uh fantastic question it was it was really uncomfortable for me and i I've always resisted doing videos but it became a necessary evil in, 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 you know in the business and um i was always like music is is something that when a listener hears it they're making their own images in their head we're actually writing our my the lyric style of which i used to like from pie dubois and and other writers was I like imagery. I don't like stories. I don't. I don't care about stories. I want imagery. I want to be painting pictures. So when they, if they have their headphones on and their eyes are closed, listening, they're getting all these wonderful things happening. And when you do a video, it's like, oh god, it's the hurry up and wait club, right? You're four hours yeah, yeah. in a dressing room, and then come out and like, ah, yeah, yeah. okay, and then back it. for four hours in the yeah, dressing room while they, they change okay, the okay, set. Well, yeah, exactly. Okay, you get the lighter. Okay, okay, go, go. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh man. <laughs> They're breaking I mean, for lunch, but back yeah, at... Yeah, and I just felt like I was one of the ultimate cheesy dudes on video. I just... I just, uh, I just yeah. But you you look at your albums that came out in the video era, we go platinum, triple platinum, double platinum, and yep. I, I gotta say, as a kid in, in, in where I lived, I probably wouldn't have heard of Kim Mitchell if it wasn't for much music, because sure. there, there was no yep. local radio playing you, or at least not that I knew of. Well, so, I knew that. I knew that. I just wish, you know, you know, if if you had one thing you could go back and do again, it'd probably be all the videos. <laughs> yeah. Even, lo even looking like this, I'd go back and do them again. <laughs> well, it's funny because music videos are still huge. I mean, you, yeah. the weekends putting up music videos that look like full, uh, you know, sure. theatrical pictures. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, technology really has made some heavy advances, and sometimes I'm blown away with what is even done on a on a smartphone you know yeah. so, wow like insane so well there we go it's, uh this was great i mean she's Thank 40 you. 40 minutes in and we didn't expect to go this long but here we are this is awesome I'm sorry i took so much time man well, no, no this is this is great just Look, real I quick go for another we... hour but the big fan aside the songwriting rock and roll hall of, uh, not not the rock and roll hall of, the songwriters um, hall of fame yeah Indian sure. songwriters hall of fame yep Pretty just before easy. we wrap up what's uh what's your guitar rig look like these days uh, well, I can't move the camera. It's in all my, my life stuff is at home. It's in this back room. Mm -hmm. And, um, every once in a while I fired up and peeve my neighbors off. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to go outside. Yeah. Cause my neighbors are so wonderful and, and they're young, two young families on both sides of me. And I'm like, Hey, do you, do you hear like, cause I'm, I don't want to cause, uh, yeah. Reason. They're like, yeah man but like go for it like it's cool it sounds great and i'm like okay so better than having an elderly couple living next door yeah, like, so what they put in a request like... they go hey listen i've no. got some friends coming over could you do uh patio <laughs> lanterns at about seven o'clock that would really be oh that's great that'd be funny <laughs> <laughs> that'd be hilarious <laughs> be useful yeah but my rigs at home i just have stuff pedals and guitars and not yeah. a lot of stuff i've never been a collector so there's not much going on uh, do you have yeah. any of the vintage stuff from the 80s or i do uh, my yeah. marshals are from the 80s they're they're sort of the cool nice um and they sound great 
Yeah. Just I Marshalls? Any uh, Soldanos in there? Or No, no. Too much gain for me on Soldanos. I have a, a Blankenship, which is like a plexi version of something, uh, of, of a Marshall, which is less gain even. Nice. Uh, I have a, a Fender one. You know, I want a bit of Fender sound, so I have the new um, Pro Reverb, which nice. is a single 12. Yeah, it's a beautiful sounding smaller amp. I used to use Fenders and Max Webster, so I wanted to revisit it. And there's a few guitars laying around. Nice. Something cool. in the background there. That's from Czech Republic. They've had that for a very long time. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. Well, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Absolute oh, pleasure. Beaucoup. Glad we could do this. Thank you, Mitch. It was very nice to finally do this with you. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. And uh, this is great. And you, Jeremy. Yeah. Take care, yes, guys. awesome. Radio brethren. <laughs> okay, man. Rock on. Cheers. All right. Thank See you. See you later, Kim. Thank you. All right. Well, there you go. There Kim you go. Mitchell, everybody. Good stuff. That was great. Um, I, I love seeing your face. You look like a deer in headlights every time I ask the uh, the gear questions. It's awesome. <laughs> I know. You go, uh, Lynn Drum, and I go. No, you, you said something funny when I said it. I was like, well, because you're not mixing on the NS10s. And they're like, oh, yeah, mixing on NS10s are the Neves. And uh, Neves are board, and then NS10s are speakers. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I know exactly. I, I got Anyways. a pig nose out. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, well, the big fan <laughs> size available now wherever music is sold. New music from Kim Mitchell. Go check it out. It's absolutely brilliant stuff. So, and uh, yeah. yeah, he was a great dude. That was an awesome interview. Really, that was, really that was great. That. I, I did want to ask him about uh, Neil Pert because you know obviously he toured with Rush and all that, but yeah, we, well, you I know, get... they, Rush wrote a song about him called "I Think I'm Going Bald," and really. Yeah, and Neil writes all the lyrics, right? So it would have been interesting. So next time we have something to ask him about. There we go. We have a, we have a starting point, but uh, there you go. And uh, Kim has, in his career, opened for Def Leppard, so. Yes, he has. We, we always have to bring it back to Def Leppard and or the Scorpions. And he's friends with uh, all the people we want to interview, so uh, we're, it's very <laughs> we're important. Gonna keep, we're going to keep Kim very close. <laughs> all right. Thanks go, a lot. Sure. Make sure you like and subscribe, and uh, make sure you keep following Mitch and I on Twitter and Instagram and all the stuff, and we'll see you up there. Come back next week. Another episode. Yeah. Candlebox. Candlebox, baby. Done. All right. Perfect. Let me uh, hit the stop.